Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. It's so good to see you today. If this is your first time with us, welcome, very special welcome to you, especially if you would not consider yourself uh, follow the way of Jesus. Uh, we count it an immense privilege that you would entrust a part of your journey to us. Uh, we want you to know two things right out of the gate. Number one, this is not a perfect place for perfect people. And number two, uh, this is a place where you can explore the truth claims of Jesus uh, in the context of a safe community. Uh, today, we're going to continue our series in miracles. And if you want to follow along, uh, go ahead and hit that QR code. It will take you to the Bible app event. And that has both in it the text that we are working through as well as uh, notes for you to follow along. Uh, as you turn there, I want to encourage you again uh, to join us anytime that you can for prayer during this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, it really has been a remarkable time, uh, and we are seeing record numbers. Uh, it's, it's been incredible. We've had between 30 and 35 people here at 6.30 in the morning, uh, Monday through Friday, praying. Uh, and then yesterday, Saturday morning, we had 50. And I was like, wow, these people really trying to get this Jesus. So uh, join us Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 7.15, Saturday at 9.30. Listen, if you can jump in before you head to work, this could be the thing that you do on the way to work so that you don't kill that coworker that you don't like because the spirit will work on your heart before you get to the job. So 6.30 a.m., we'd love to see you there. Uh, our text for today comes out of Mark's gospel. And uh, it is the equivalent of the Great Commission in Mark's gospel uh, that many of us will be familiar with from Matthew's gospel. Let's read it together. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. Now, this is where it's going to get tough for some of us, but I'm going to read it straight from the Bible. Is that all right? They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new tongues. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, listen to this, and they will be healed. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. The word of the Lord, and if you would say with me, thanks be to God. Listen, before I pray, I want to just give a quick disclaimer. I know we come from varying church backgrounds. I know we do. Uh, in fact, I shared it first Wednesday uh, this past week uh, that if you go to my private Facebook page, my religion says Caracatha Baptocostal. Okay, because I grew up Catholic, I taught, I would learn how to preach in a Baptist church. I became a Christian in a charismatic church. I was trained formerly in ministry at a Presbyterian church, and I've taken pieces of all of those beautiful, beautiful expressions of faith, and they have become who I am in Jesus. And so what I want to encourage you is no matter what background you come from, this is the Bible, okay? And so whatever is said today 
your contention is with the Bible, not with me. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. And if you're a follower of the way of Jesus, I want you to open up your heart to the reality of what the word of God says. Because there's power and authority you may not be walking in because you've been taught something untrue about what the Bible says. Okay, and if you're not a follower of the way of Jesus, well, things are going to get a little crazy. And, uh, and I hope that if you believe, we believe, that a talking snake broke up a marriage and unraveled the world, then maybe this is possible too. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you now for your word and we pray that you move in and empower and that we would be transformed by it and because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to share a story with you I've never shared publicly um, from my own life. This is my testimony. And, uh, and if it's going to freak you out, it's just going to freak you out. But I'm going to share it anyway. Uh, about 16 years ago, I think it was about 16 years ago, I was invited to speak uh, at a revival <clears throat> at a local church in South Florida. Okay? And uh, I didn't know them very well. They didn't know me very well. But we had some mutual friends. And, uh, and I didn't take a lot of invitations back then. But Brianna and I were young in marriage. Uh, we were living in a townhouse where I could literally touch both walls standing in the center of the room, okay, like arm to arm. That's how small it was. And so when I got invited to preach down here and they said that it was going to be three zeros on the check, I was like, Jesus must be calling. And so, so I went down to, to preach this revival, and, uh, and they were wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, the first night of the revival was pretty uneventful, and I don't say that in a negative way. I say that in a normative way, that uh, the gospel was preached, we sang songs, uh, uh, people raised their hand to receive Jesus for the first time. Uh, a couple of people professed faith. There were a couple of people that signed up for baptism. A couple of people said they were coming back the next night. It really was uneventful in that way. Uh, the second night, however, took a different turn. Okay. Second night took a very different turn. Uh, and, and I was standing up there preaching, and a woman near the front of the church building because church is the people, amen, um, she began to act out in, like, weird and kind of provocative ways. And I was like, well, this is strange. But, you know, you do this long enough, and you just learn to look in other places, right? So, I mean, you preach down in South America, you know, there's different, you know, cultural ideas about what to wear and not to wear and what to do publicly and not to do publicly. And so sometimes you just got to be like, all right then. Well, this side of the room is going to get most of the sermon today. So, so I just bounced. I was like, all right, well, whatever she's doing, I'm going to try not to pay attention to it, and, and I'm going I'm to keep preaching. But she got more active <clears throat> and more demonstrative, and, um, and, and it soon escalated to the point where the pastor called the deacons uh, to, to try and escort her out. And, and that's when it got real dramatic. And I'm talking about, like, Exorcist, the movie type of dramatic uh, things took a turn that I was not expecting. And, and when they went to grab her, uh, she began to growl and chirp intermittently. Like, grr, beep, beep. Like, like it was, it, you know. And, and they went to grab her, and she began to growl and chirp, and then she took off running. And the strangest thing about this, and I've shared this story with my wife, with my friends many, many times. You tell me if anything here is inconsistent. But the strange thing about it is when she took off running, she ran out of her high heels, but the heels stayed in place. Like they had been placed in a closet. It was very strange. And clearly the pastor of this church had encountered this before. This was my first time. 
and he he was not he was not shaken. He was like, uh, he talked to his wife. He said, baby, get the kids, get the kids, get the kids. And so she rounded up all the children in the room, and she escorted them out of a side door. And he said, deacons, deacons, post at the door, deacons, post at the door. And so they went and posted up at the door, and I was like, what is about to happen right now? This is exciting and terrifying at the same time. And so they got all the kids out of the room. And, and then she ran to the back of the room, and she stood behind the pews, and then she began to sink into the floor. And I was like, what is going on? And, and they told me to run around this way, so I ran around this way. And, and I kid you not, she began to slither underneath the pews like a snake. I've never seen a human body move like that in my life. Like this was well beyond Shakira level stuff, right? And she was just slithering, slithering beneath the pews, right back up to the front. And then she popped up, and a couple of guys tried to grab her. And these were not small men. Uh, I, I would say one was probably between me and Pastor Sly's size. One was, uh, um, you know, just a little bit smaller than that. And they grabbed her on her arms, you know, like you'd be, you know, arresting somebody or walking them down the aisle, which is surprisingly similar. And, <laughs> and she took one of them, and she flung him like three feet. And then she took the other one and she flung him like three feet. Now, this was not a large woman. She might have been 5'5", five, five, maybe 120 pounds. And I was like, oh, okay. This is a Bible thing happening in front of me. And so four people had to grab her. And they pulled her down and they began to pray. And the whole time she was writhing and fighting and kicking and spitting and scratching and clawing. And I'm, I'm not making this up. I was standing there like this. And the pastor said, Minister Crump, Minister Crump. And I was like, huh? And he said, get that pew Bible and start reading from the gospel account of Jesus, he was very specific, from the gospel account of Jesus casting the demons out of the man that went into the pigs. And so I was like, man, I'm only tombs, man, I'm only the index, I can't remember, oh God. And she's like, ah, you know, it's, and so I'm flipping through the Bible and, and I find it and he goes, put it on her chest. And I'm like, that's assault. In my mind. But I did what he said because, of course, she was like throwing grown men. And so I put the Bible on her chest and I began to just read over and over and over again. I just began to read the passage. And they were praying and they had the oil out and oil was flying and sweat was flying and all kind of stuff was happening. And she popped up. Now, I'm, kneel I'm kneeling down right here with the Bible and I'm just reading the Bible. And she sits straight up like this. Like the undertaker used to do when he wasn't going to be beat. You know what I'm talking about? And she sits straight up. And I kid you not. In a deep guttural voice, she goes, you can't have her. And I'm like, okay. I didn't start this fight. And so we just prayed. Now, I'm sure it was probably like 10 minutes, but it felt like hours 
that all of a sudden, to borrow from the song we just sang, the atmosphere shifted. And she started to weep. And the pastor knew, again, this dude, like, he, like the witcher, like, he sees him. Like, he's, he knew what to do. And so as soon as she started crying, he was like, testify, testify to the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Testify to the power of the Lord. Testify that he is your Lord and Savior. And she was like, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I testify to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that he is my Savior. And she began to praise the Lord. And then they prayed for her to be filled with the Spirit. And she began to pray in the Spirit. And she was completely delivered. Now, amen, that's worth clapping for. Now, I followed up on that later. Brianna can tell you this. And that woman began, uh, began to attend that church. She became a member of that church. She was serving in that church in my near-term follow-up. Now, I can't know what happened 17 years after that, but it really is remarkable how hesitant I was to share that story, given that it's in the Bible. And I was hesitant. I'm be honest. I promised you two things from the first day you ever stepped in any building where I was leading, that I'm going to screw up. I promised you that, and I have. And then I'm going to keep it 100. I was hesitant. Because in our post-enlightenment, to some degree, post-Christianity, intellectualized micro-spirituality that I can control world, that sounds crazy. Now, for some reason, Reiki and aligning chakras with crystals and the universe being animate, but a woman actually being possessed by a demon, which is in the Bible. Well, that sounds crazy. And so I was hesitant this morning. I can't lie to you. I was hesitant to share that story because I'm like, well, all the new people we got, they're going to be like, oh, it's one of them churches. I, I promise I went to school. I have multiple degrees. I'll finish my doctorate in May. Okay. Hey. And I still believe these things. Because there are things that extend beyond our intellectual capacity to grasp. And they are in the word of God. And the reality is, and, and this is an aside, uh, and I shared this at morning prayer. I shared this again at First Wednesday. We just started a brand new series for First Wednesday on spiritual warfare that you want to be a part of. So February's First Wednesday, you want to be there. But I shared with them that when you read through the Gospels, you see three evidences of the kingdom. And we're generally, depending on what church background we come from, we're generally only comfortable or at least active in one or two of those. But you see three evidences of the kingdom. The preaching of the gospel, right? And that's not just from the pulpit. That's with your life across the street and with your neighbors and strange people at the gym, right? That's the preaching of the gospel. It is a healing of the sick. Those are symptoms of the kingdom. 
and it's deliverance from demonic powers. And when you look at Jesus' ministry, that's what you saw. You saw him preach and feed. You saw him heal and feed. You saw him deliver and feed people. That's what he did. But the reality is, again, in in my own hesitation, the, the reality is that we struggle to embrace the supernatural and miraculous aspects of the scriptures. We do. It's why there is a Bible called the Jefferson Bible. Are you familiar with the Jefferson Bible? The Jefferson Bible is a Bible built from Thomas Jefferson's uh, um, extraordinary labor to go through the New Testament and cut every miracle out of it that Jesus ever did. This is our founding Christian father. We're uncomfortable with these things and the implications of these things on our life and on our faith. And some people, even if they would say they're followers of Jesus, they outright reject these things. But it's not just the devil or demons or the idea of incarnate evil that trips us up. It's miracles of any kind. And yet so much of our natural world we engage every day lacks an explanation of how. You don't know how the wind blows or where it comes from. You just trust that it does. You don't know how the earth spins around the sun and maintains an axis without throwing us off of it. But because Neil deGrasse Tyson says it's cool, we're cool. So we have unexplained in our world that we've accepted, but for some reason there's a hurdle here with the scriptures. And yet the scriptures are clear that the supernatural, both redemptive and non-redemptive, is real. And, And when we embrace the reality of Jesus, we embrace them. And so here's what we see in our text today that we're going to unpack just for a few minutes. That miraculous signs should accompany the lives and works of followers of the way. They should. And if they don't accompany my life and yours, well, I think there might be some questions to ask. But we can save those for the end. Okay? If you want to look with me, I'm going to jump back in Mark just a little bit to give us some context. Uh, What we have at the close of his gospel It's what uh, some scholars call the longer ending of Mark, okay? And some of your Bibles might even describe it as such and say things like these verses were not found in the earliest manuscripts. We don't have time to get into several hundred years of debate over these few verses. And the scholarship on these things is incomplete. And and there's not soundness on really either side of the argument. But here's what we do know. Number one, they're in our Bible, yes? And so much like the story of the woman caught in adultery, they're worth engaging. And number two, nothing in these verses contradicts the scriptures. And all of it is reflected elsewhere in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. And so what Mark describes here, the end of his account, are the days following Jesus' death and resurrection. And he starts his close on the Sunday after Jesus had ridden from death. It's going to be in your Bible, Abavin, in Mark 16, 9. He starts there. And, and, he, and he tells us that on the Sunday after Jesus had ridden from death, that he was first seen by Mary Magdalene, who out of whom he had cast seven demons. Did you read that verse right there? Now, two things here. Number one, uh, if you're not a follower of the way of Jesus, I, I understand that the idea of Jesus rising from death could be a difficult concept to embrace. Here's what I would say. Number one, uh, Hundreds of years of people dying, being beaten, giving up their lives, giving up their families, giving up everything because they believe this testifies to this truth. 
And there's a Jewish historian named Josephus who testifies that there were hundreds of people who saw Jesus rise from death, and there was no indication that he ever became a follower of the way. And so there are, there are legitimate historical implications for believing this truth. The second thing that we need to consider in, in the description of Mary is what we've already talked about. Read it carefully. He had driven out of her seven demons. And so what we see from that is even here, we cannot separate the word of Jesus from the miraculous works of Jesus. Right? Now, Mark tells us that after Mary saw Jesus, she did what you're supposed to do after you see Jesus. She went and told other people the good news. Why? Because encountering Jesus should inspire us to tell others about him. I don't have time to harp on that. So just let my face do the harping. Yet even when she did, verse 11 tells us that the disciples refused to believe. Did you hear that? The disciples. Now, they've been walking with this man for three years. And he said it over and over again. I'm going to die. I'm going to get up. Now will you restore the kingdom? It's not that kind of kingdom. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to get up. Well, Jesus, I'm not going to let you die. Get behind me, Satan. That's what he told the homie Peter. Right? You ain't in a real relationship if you haven't called your good friend Satan yet. Right? Get me behind me, Satan. I'm going to die, and I'm going to get up. And yet, here it says, even with her eyewitness testimony, the disciples failed to believe in spite of the great sorrow at his death. And the unbelief of the disciples has been a constant theme through Mark's gospel, right? Somehow they are still the same even after the resurrection of Jesus. Now, then in verse 12, Mark shifts away from Mary Magdalene's rejection by the disciples to a scene that will be familiar to some of us. It's the road to Emmaus. And these two disciples are walking with Jesus, and he's asking them what happened, and they don't know it's Jesus. And then he's like, how can you not know it's me? And he's like, hey, it's me. And they're like, oh, my gosh, it's you. And he's like, hey, I'm going to teach you everything the Bible says about me because it's all about me. Again, I don't have time to harp. So. And then they go back and they go to the other disciples and they say, you won't believe it. We just saw Jesus walking on the road. And yet, when they return to them, they too are not believed. A bit of a poetic justice there, yes? That these same two who initially didn't believe Mary didn't have an encounter and then they go back and they are also not believed. And after these initial appearances, Mark then describes for us Jesus' last earthly appearance, which is recorded in Dr. Luke and John's record as well. It says that he appeared to all of the disciples at once, to the 11. Why? Because Judas is out. He appeared to the 11 at once, and it says he rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief. That's why I had to start where I started. He rebuked them for, listen, unbelief is not a game. Not if you say you believe. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of the way of Jesus, we got time. But the vo for those of us who say that we are followers of the way of Jesus and we believe this Jesus, unbelief is not a game. And so it says he rebuked them for their unbelief because they refused to believe, not could not, not couldn't, you know, uh, they had a hard time. They actively refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. 
It's almost as if the disciples, listen, in their stubbornness and their grief had actually preferred unbelief and despondency to God's joyous truth of the resurrection. (laughs) Human beings are complex that way. Sometimes, sometimes we would rather choose a comfortable grief than an uncomfortable joy. Sometimes we would rather choose a comfortable bondage to an uncomfortable freedom. That's where the disciples found themselves. And yet they give us hope, don't they? That if these fragile and fearful men and women who still had unbelief after physically walking with Jesus and then seeing him after he rose from the dead, if these fragile, fearful people could then turn and turn the world upside down, surely we can too. That's the hope we have. Amen. That's the hope we have. Now, in this encounter, in this very necessary rebuke, Jesus issues to his followers what what we would call the, uh, the Great Commission. And he begins by telling them to go into all the world and the whole of creation and preach the gospel. There it is, straight, no chaser. Go into all the world, into all of creation, and preach the gospel. Why? Because Jesus' people take Jesus' gospel across the street and across the world. That is what we do. That is what we are called to do. It is not for the professionals. It is not for the trained. It is not for the educated. It is not for the clergy. It is not for the pastor. It is not for the bishop. It is not for the apostle. It is not for the potentate. It is for the people of God with the message of God to declare the glory of God to all of creation. That is what we're called to do. That's the first thing Jesus tells them to do. The first thing he tells them to do. And he tells them that they need to have faith in this because faith will lead to proclamation, but unbelief will seal the lips of his friends. I will submit to you that if you have trouble sharing the gospel, it is unlikely an equipping issue, and it is more likely a belief issue. You don't need to be equipped to tell somebody else your story. I was here. I met him. He did this. And then I got that. Super simple. Super simple. You don't need to be equipped to do that. You'll need a Romans road, cross diagram, six weeks of training to tell somebody your story. Right? Okay. So if we're not telling other people about Jesus, it's not an equipping issue. It is a belief issue. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? I wish I had more time. Do you believe? Because if you believe, you couldn't help but tell. When I believed I was getting married, I told everybody. Had to tell some people twice. Get off my Facebook page. Right? When you believe, you tell. When you believe you're pregnant, when you're ready, you tell. When we believe things, we share them. We can't help but share them. Even if it's pure foolishness, which social media has given everybody unbridled license to do. 
hey, The Rock, you're stupid. I saw that on Twitter. And I'm like, this man not going to respond back to you? Then he did, which I was surprised. But welcome to social media. People say what they believe in. And if we believe, we're going to tell the world. Now, as always, and God's dealing with humanity, it is gifted faith that justified and chosen unbelief that self-condemns. I don't need to read that again. And everything to this point, if you grew up in or around church, has been standard fare, I'm sure. But then Jesus shifts focus. And he says that, that there are five signs that would accompany those who believed him. And note, again, that these signs are not meant to only accompany those who preach, but any who believe. Who are they meant to accompany? Thank you. Five miraculous signs. And he begins the promise with this statement, in my name, and that's important. Because he's assuring his friends that they understand that any power they have to do any miraculous signs comes from him and not from them. That's part of our problem. At least it has been in my mind in the past. I'm like, I can't mess with none of that. Because I was around people who believed that they were powerful. When in reality, no, we are a conduit for powerfulness. He that is in me, not me. And so that's why Jesus begins, if, if they do these things in my name, then these things will accompany them. This promise is also a word for our church today that we are equipped to do miraculous things in Jesus' name. We are. But I can't believe that for you. You've got to believe that. And you've got to want to believe that. But let me get to it. Here are the signs that you've heard already. He says that they're going to cast out demons in his name. They're going to be bitten by a snake and shake it off. The temptation to sing Taylor Swift was very high in that moment. They're going to lay hands on the sick and God will heal them. They're going to drink poison and not die. And most importantly, they're going to preach the good news of the gospel. Well, let me tell you a couple of things you need to know. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, the gift of tongues is frequently found in Pentecost and onwards. They said that they will speak in new tongues. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, the gift of tongues is found in onwards. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Peter, the gift of tongues is found there. And there are multiple different gifts of tongues, and this is not a teaching on tongues. And so if you want to hear a three-part teaching on tongues, go and listen to our Church in the Wild series when we were working through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But the Bible says it right here that they will speak in new tongues. In Acts chapter 16, 18, Paul expels a demon. And it's not the only instance in which he expelled a demon. In Acts 28, 5, Paul shakes off a snake into the fire after being bitten. In Acts 28, 8, Paul lays hands on the sick and heals them. Acts 5, 15 records that Peter's shadow fell on somebody and it healed them. In Acts 19, 2, it's recorded, and all these should be in your Bible app event. In Acts 19.2, it's recorded that Paul sent a handkerchief that he had touched. And it healed people and drove out demons. This is the word of God. 
and whether or not these miraculous and spectacular manifestations were meant to be continuous in the life of the church or restricted to this period is clear in light of New Testament history and church history. They were not meant to cease. I don't care who told you or how smart they thought they were. They cannot show you from the Bible that these were things that were restricted to Acts and were no more after that. Amen. And church history will tell you the same. It will tell you the same. That this is the testimony and the witness of the church. Last piece. We must assume that there was some known extra-biblical case of Christians drinking lethal liquid without harm. Otherwise, there's no reason for Peter, or, or rather for Mark, to have shared this story. Now, we have a promise of these signs that should follow us. And greater still, listen, we have Jesus who committed to be with us until when? Anybody know? The end of the age. He is with us. And that's why this is actually my favorite passage in this whole little section. The disciples went everywhere and they preached. So let's start doing that part. Maybe that's why we're not seeing the signs. Maybe that's why, that may, may, maybe, maybe we're not seeing the signs because we're not doing the stuff that don't require signs. So they preached, and the Lord worked through them. Who worked? Through them. Okay? So if somebody on the TV tells you they're going to send a handkerchief and cure your back pain, the power's not in them. Through them, confirming what they said by what? Many miraculous signs. Listen, we are living in a generation that is hungry and thirsty for spiritual things. We are. It's common to the human story. It's why there are so many movies and television shows like Supernatural and Ghost Hunters and Stranger Things. We know there's something. And people are grasping and trying to put an idea on it and trying to put a face on it and trying to put a name on it and trying to, trying to put something on it. And the Bible says this is the it that you're searching for. This is Paul's words when he says that we go through the world groping that we might find the Savior. And it is in him that we leave, live and breathe and move and have our being. It is the same idea. People are looking for answers and the church has the answers. But we are looking to the world to validate our answers. People are hungry, and they are searching, and they want to know that there is something beyond themselves. In fact, there are some of you in here like that this morning, and you may not yet be fo follow the way of Jesus, and you're thinking to yourself, all of this sounds crazy, and yet, I think it's plausible. Well, that's secondary. Primary is you putting your trust in Jesus. And so here's my invitation to you that, that if today is the day that you want to believe Jesus for the first time, for the first time, then I want to say a quick and simple prayer with you. Nothing major. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes right now so that this can be a sacred moment for you. 
You don't have to pray this aloud. Just if it is for you, just follow my lead. Jesus, I believe you are the savior of the world. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you conquered death. I put my trust in you. Forgive me for not following your love and your leading. Rejecting you. And give me righteousness and eternal life. In your name. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today, everything in your life is different forever. Now, to those of us who are followers of the way of Jesus, let me turn my attention back to you and say that our time today begs the question, as always, why does or should this message matter? It's simple. Jesus' people are meant to manifest miracles. We are. We are. This is not PL saying it. This is not the latest scholarship saying it. This is not. This is straight out of your Bible. This is who we're meant to be. And I don't know if that was from the Lord or just my general saltiness, but I do think that perhaps if we start preaching the gospel more, then we might see manifestations of signs to accompany it. But until we preach the good news, the rest is, that's very far-fetched. We are meant to manifest miracles, and we are meant to see our belief accompanied by reason-bending signs. And so I invite you to step into that. I invite you to step into that. And so what do we do? I'm going to give you two things to consider. One, honestly assess why this aspect of faith is so difficult for you. Is this your upbringing? Are you rationalizing away things that even you have encountered that you can't explain? Why is this so difficult? For you, I know why it was difficult for me. It was difficult for me because I was raised Catholic. And so all of this was for the weird, spooky people. But then you get face to face with something that you can't think away. And then you call the weird, spooky people. And then you're like, wow, okay, they, okay, they, they, they own something. Why is it difficult for you? And then number two. If you are a follower of the way of Jesus, ask God to give you faith to believe and power to operate in the gifts and the signs he's assigned to you. Pray that prayer today. But before we close, just briefly, sometimes maybe we need a testimony. I gave you mine, and I want to invite my sister Jackie up here to give you hers as well. We all welcome Jackie. Big step. They built that for me. I made it up here, so already miracles are happening. My name is Jackie. I'm a homeschool mom of three girls. Um, at the time of this story, it was two girls. So back in 2017, I hear very clearly from the Lord that, as believers, we should be casting out demons and praying for the, he uh, praying for the healing of those that are sick. And I had seen the Lord heal people that I've prayed for. So I was kind of like, ooh, so now what do I do? I just look around for demons. So um, instead, I, j I didn't know who to talk to about. I didn't have any. I'm the first Christian in my family. Um, so I ended up just studying the Gospels, just looking at Jesus' life, just soaking it in and kind of feeling from the Lord to just be prepared for anything. 
And that Anything Day was uh, November 10th. Oh, at the same time, excuse me, that same uh, year, the Lord spoke to me separately to be praying for my cousin, Elizabeth. Didn't know they were related, you know, leadings. I was just praying for her like I had been praying for years. As, um, like I said, I was the first Christian. I've always been praying for my family, but I felt a stronger impression to really pray specifically for her. So she was in college, a junior at that time. So a year later, she's a senior. At this point, her father has died a few months prior. Our grandmother has died, and she's going through a lot. But she was always a very quiet, very private person, but just very sweet, very gentle. Didn't, we couldn't really get inside of her to know what was going on. Just very sweet girl. So more like a little sister to me. She gives me a call on November 10th, and she says, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm hearing voices. I'm, I'm, it's tell, they're telling me to hurt people and to hurt myself. And I don't know what to do. And I said, I'm coming right away. I heard the Holy Spirit say, it's go time. <laughs> so I uh, left the children with my husband. Very unlike me, I said, peace out. I got to go. I went, and she was just wandering some apartment complex. I sit down with her in my car. Um, she explains kind of what she's hearing, what she's sensing, and all of these things kind of, she feels things moving around. And I said, um, okay, so first of all, we're going to talk about Jesus. So she commits desperately her life to Jesus, just so ready. Um, and I had shared the gospel many times before, but this was, she was ready. And we, uh, then she comes, spends the night. Next day, we had prayed together, but she goes, and she's still feeling fearful. She goes and spends the night uh, at her mom's house. They share a bed together that night. And the next morning, my aunt calls me and says, the bed was levitating, and things were moving around the room. And I, now, I'm, now I'm really angry at Satan. I was like, no, bring her back to me. <laughs> because I see that he's trying to intimidate her and create fear in her life. So I said, no, today's not the day. So she comes back. We sit down. We have a long talk about all of the sin that she had already kind of put down on paper for herself, all the doors that she had opened to the enemy. So we just start going through it, and I'm shocked. This is a whole different person than I knew. She's like, I did this in college, I did this. I was like, oh, Jesus, help me. <laughs> so I'm listening to it, and, um, and then I know that I had read one book on deliverance, and they were saying, you need to do this with somebody else because you just don't know what's going to happen. So the only person I could think of were these people that my kids, my kids went to a private preschool at the time, and it was a Holy Ghost. These people were very Holy Ghost filled, so I was like, I'm just going to go over there. So I go pick up my kids from preschool. They stay with somebody else in the room, and I go talk to the head of the program and uh, the teacher, one of my kids' teachers. We explain everything. They said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to cast these demons out. They said, okay. So they grab the oil. We anoint ourselves. We anoint her. Um, they start worshiping, and they started to uh, just pray and let me lead because I knew about the open doors and the sin. So the Holy Spirit was just 100% leading the entire thing. He was just giving me, don't forget this spirit. <laughs> so I was just starting to pray out, casting out these demons by name, by the name of Jesus Christ. And so the whole time her eyes are kind of rolled back, She's kind of frothing at the mouth. And every time a demon would leave her, she would spit up into this trash can that these older women had <laughs> very wisely put in front of her. And so she's spitting up. Um, 
I would say demon number six was the longest. We were praying about generational curses to be broken off of her and to, to release her. Like I said, my family's very much connected to the occult and uh, new age. So uh, I don't think I mentioned that. When my grandmother died, Elizabeth had prayed with some family members to channel her spirit inside of her. And she felt something come on her. So she had all these things. So we were, So that one took a while, but she still wasn't free. And I was praying to the Holy Spirit, and he reminded me of a sin that she had mentioned. And I said, oh. So we started, I started to name that spirit, and she just let out the loudest scream that I had heard her ever, ever give. And it was just, the whole thing was just an out-of-body experience. It was about two and a half hours from sharing everything with these women to the end. So she lets out this scream. She spits up. Her eyes come back to normal. She starts talking to us like normal. And um, I hadn't planned on what to do after, <laughs> but I was really thankful that these women were very experienced, older women, and they came and started counseling her on how to walk with Jesus, how to be a disciple of Jesus, and uh, to be filled in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So she started speaking in tongues. She was sealed by the Holy Spirit. And, and then we just go home, and I make spaghetti for dinner. <laughs> so... I was sitting there like, what is happening? And I just want to encourage you all today that she is some of the most, she's one of the most grateful people for Jesus. She loves him with such a pure love. Sorry. She's very involved at her church. She was immediately connected to a college ministry. And I hope this encourages you that this little short Colombian homeschool mama has Jesus inside of her that makes demons tremble. Okay? And that same Jesus is in every single one of you, and we need to step into that authority. Thank you for listening. Amen. So there's a couple of things you can do with this. Worship team. Oh, no, not yet. Sorry. There's a couple of things you can do with this. Um, you can write it off. You can. There's nothing I can do about that. Or you can trust that the word of God is true and that the testimony of his people is true. Now, the picture that Mark paints at the end of his gospel is the church multiplying and expanding and reaching all over the world. Our vision here is to see the world awaken to the wonder of God and his transcultural church. But I will tell you this, I don't believe there's a reality where that happens until we understand who we are actually supposed to be and how that's supposed to look. Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus that you would empower your people, strengthen your people, embolden your people, put a word in their mouth, put a vision in their heart, let them see who you've called them to be, and let miraculous signs accompany their witness of the gospel until your kingdom breaks in more fully and we see the world awakened to you and to your church. In Jesus' name, amen.